Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. So we're in that funny phase. People definitely have their eye on the summer. And I think there's a sense of get it done before Eid al-Adha and then the schools will break up. But it's very active. Business is very active. We're hearing big announcements such as Pam Jebelali announced this week. Also, corporate tax was introduced officially on the 1st of June. Uh, it'll impact people, some people for 2023, but most people a full fiscal year. It'll be 2024. We will talk a bit more about that as it comes on the business podcast uh, this week, we are talking about hospitality. Uh, it's a fascinating story about how to build your own hotel brand. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast this week. We're joined by J.S. Anand. He's the founder of Leva Hotels. Uh, so they're a dynamic lifestyle hotel concept created to offer a fresh and more accessible perspective to the hospitality industry. So a fresh approach. We'll be hearing the story of Leva Hotels, uh, a look at the hospitality industry in general in Dubai and across the region, and look to the future. Good morning, J.S. Hi, how are you? Uh, tell me how, how you, your name comes from. Uh, I originally come from India, yeah. and uh, the name is actually J.S. Anand. Okay. It's a long name. It's Jitinder Singh Anand. So I. That's the full name? That's the full name. Oh, so you abbreviate it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, nobody. Um, it's very tough for uh, everybody to pronounce Jitinder all the time. Yeah. And I had a German boss back in the 90s, and he said, you know what? We're not going to do uh, Jitinder Singh. It's going to be J.S. <laughs> Just so that's how it stuck on, yeah. Okay, very good. Well, good morning, Jess. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure's mine. And tell us a little bit about Lever Hotels. Uh, we, we, uh, my background basically came from hospitality for the last uh, eighteen or nineteen years, and uh, I started my career in uh, in the mid nineties in India, and I had the opportunity to work with three brands in my life. That's Marriott, Hilton, and IG. And I moved around a bit. I Biggest, moved. basically. Yeah, because uh, the exposure you get, and uh, for me, the goal was to get exposure in different markets. So I didn't want to. Uh, uh, I didn't want to limit myself to Southeast Asia. I wanted to go to the Western world and experience brands in the U.S. and Canada. So I moved from uh, Southeast Asia, basically India, Philippines, Thailand. UK for a while, and then Vancouver and Toronto. <clears throat> and uh, I tried various departments and verticals, basically, because I went into sales and marketing. That was my core. I went into front office operations. I went into food and beverage. Uh, so my goal was to get exposure in every department and in different markets, because you have to realize that India works differently. So, uh, South uh, Philippines and Thailand are totally different. Uh, so is the West. So I got exposure with Marriott and Hilton in the US and in Canada. 
and I started as a sales manager back in uh, Vancouver. And then I went up and uh, became a director of operations and then a general manager. I think uh, the goal was to eventually look at vibrant markets and Canada was not too vibrant for me. Uh, so I decided to move to Dubai sometime in 2013. Okay, so about 10 years ago? About 10 years ago. Were you exposed to Dubai before that? I was exposed to Dubai only through a trade show, which was ATM. Oh, wow. So I'd done about seven or eight ATMs, and uh, exposure to Dubai is, I mean, it's, it's something that you can't miss. Mm. Uh, because in the 90s is when Dubai started taking off. And what it is today is totally different. So Dubai is considered as a pretty, uh, pretty. Uh, how do you put it? it it's, it's awed by people. I mean, people love this place because of the inventions and the different kind of hotels and, and recreations and, you know, like you know, the, the Atlantises and the other things that they create. IMG, for example. So Dubai wasn't the upswing when I came in. It was already there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I came in in 2013. I but before that, before you kind of get, I know I jumped ahead, but uh, it sounds, the way you're answering that question, it sounds like it was quite strategic, that you had you a passion for the hospitality sector and were you making these decisions to gain exposure with a view of, of doing something in the future? I wasn't actually. I've never had an opportunity to get into business all my life. And I didn't know I was going to go this route. Mm. Um, the reason I wanted to move to Dubai was, I, as a personality, I'm pretty vibrant and ambitious. Mm. And I don't see that growth happening in North America. Okay. Uh, in, in, in Canada specifically, you tend to be in the same positions for years and years. And growth does not happen because up the ladder, somebody else has to move. And you're not building and creating new concepts at this pace what happens within the Middle East. So Middle East was booming at that time and Dubai was one of them. And of course, other markets started later. So there was absolutely no inclination of running a business. It was only coming for a, uh, coming for a job opportunity. So I came in as a general manager for a hotel, uh, one of the IG brands in Dubai. And then I moved to Golden Tulip. And then eventually I took the leap. And describe <clears throat> to people who aren't necessarily, who don't have familiarity with how the hotel industry works, <clears throat> the difference between, you mentioned a director of operations role in Canada and a general manager in a hotel. Are you at a group level in, in, when you're at operations? Or are you still at a hotel level or how does it work? Um, depends on brand to brand, but typically a director of operations is appointed for properties which are larger and smaller at times. And some hotels don't want to take the payroll, uh, you know, take, take, take the, the financial uh, liability of having a GM and a director of operations. Mm. So they tend to go with a smaller setup. So I was in a very small setup back there. And um, hotel positions generally start right up from GM down to department heads. So you have a department head for HR, for food and beverage, for sales and marketing, uh, for engineering. It all depends on the size of the hotel. Mm. You could be a director of operations for cluster properties. For example, you have, say, element and a loft in this market, in, in like this area. 
You don't need a GM for both properties if they're pretty close by. So clustering saves cost, clustering saves manpower and payroll. Um, Typical concept is GM and then department heads mm. in various hotels. And generally, people are quite familiar, especially listeners to the business podcast, that it's <clears> kind of a management up system, isn't it? That the hotel groups don't own the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, the developer owns the property, and it's done as a management fee. Is that how it works? Right. Um, most, of the, most of the brands generally bid for management agreements with ownerships. There are some hotel chains, depending if they want to penetrate into a very sort of upcoming market, they might buy an asset or they may lease an asset. But otherwise, generally speaking, all all hotels are generally owned by local owners, owners from outside the country. And then we go in and propose either a franchise contract or a hotel management contract, which has multiple fees. It depends on what the owner really wants. Because once he takes the brand, he gets all the tools that come with the brand. Mm. Interesting. And uh, Mm. what's the most common here? Is it a franchise or a management? 90% trend in in the Middle East has always been management. Mm. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I would would second uh, the other operators, I mean, their opinion too. I don't think these markets are that matured to run there. Because in a franchise, you're taking a name, you're taking the distribution system, you're taking brand collateral and uh, colors and and the language and the whole nine yards. But in, I don't think the market is that matured that you have people to run your own operation. I, I think they should still, ownerships should still be educated to the fact that International brands or homegrown brands bring a lot of intellectual capacity. Mm. So I don't think, uh, I think largely it's management contracts, not franchise. Okay. Very few franchise. And as you're, as you're working in these roles, uh, not where does your loyalty lie, but who do you feel you're, are you trying to build a hotel? Or are you representing <clears throat> that brand at a sort of macro brand level? If you're general manager of a hotel, are you working for a Marriott or a High HG? Or are you working for your customers of that resource? And are you trying to drive that business in that particular unit? Uh, a general manager has a lot of uh, responsibility. The, the two, there's a twofold responsibility. One is that he has a responsibility as a contract assigned by the brand. He has a responsibility to deliver the performance. He delivers the results. He delivers the guest satisfaction and uh, associate satisfaction, that's people culture. So I don't think he works for one or the other. Um, Excuse me. Um, I think what is important to know is that he has an outright responsibility to deliver numbers to the owner. That includes to the bottom line. At the same time, as far as the brand is concerned, he needs to maintain the same brand standards. So he's going to be audited from both sides. Mm. He's answerable on a business review to the owner on the performance and cost involved to run an operation. And the other side, he's responsible if he's incorporated all the brand standards to run a Marriott or a Hilton. Mm. Tough job. Yeah. It's a combination of both. It's not not something that is... See, today's market, ownerships have become a lot more savvy to... 
because of the pandemic and the cost involved. And uh, it's, they become more savvy to knowing how the business runs. Mm, amazing. So I had interrupted you earlier, but you were telling, you worked with a few of those well-known brands when you came to Dubai 10 years ago. And, you know, <clears throat> for anyone outside of the industry to set up your own hotel brand isn't the same as setting up a restaurant. It seems like less trodden path, less people do it. Uh, it feels like you have to own a hotel. So how did you, how did you take the plunge to do that and what was involved? <clears throat> I think it was the toughest decision and I don't know why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, You know, I always question myself on a daily basis and I say, listen, setting up a small grocery shop or a restaurant is a lot easier. But building a brand, and honestly, I did not know that I had the capacity to do it. And in fact, building it and then growing it. Um, it was one fine day, uh, sometime in 2018 and 19, um, I was sitting and toying with the idea of knowing what's the gap in the market or what are the opportunities. And at that time, the rulers of the country were really focusing on building the mid-scale segment, the three and the four star. Mm -hmm. I remember at that time, um, it was announced that Dubai inns are going to come close to metro stations. And those Dubai inns today, I think, are called the Rove. Mm. The Rove, it's an excellent product. So I just, I was just sitting in a restaurant and I was talking to a consultant and a friend of mine and we were just having dinner and uh, he just popped the question and said that, why don't you look at creating something? And God, that stuck in my mind in 2018 and I sat and I gave up my job and I said, let me sit and see what I can create. So I got a couple of bodies together and uh, started putting uh, what sort of concept I'm going to come up with and what the market needs. And till date, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a <clears throat> yeah. excuse me. It was a tough call. Building a brand, especially a hotel brand, is not a cup of tea. Uh, the competition is fierce. To sell a homegrown brand is a lot more tougher because you don't have a support system. Uh, if you want to sell multiple brands, you need to have proof of concept. You need to show something. To, I mean, if you're going to have 25,000 KFCs, you've got to show one. Mm. So I knocked a lot of doors. I put things together, got a branding company on board. Uh, started putting the naming strategies, the philosophy behind the brand, and that's how I started. So, so the, leave, <coughs> Lever, the name comes from. Can you explain? Um, actually, the leave, uh, the name comes from a brand uh, from a from a word called Levasio, comfort and solace. Okay. So it's very well defined. It's a Latin word. Yeah, and can I just clean my throat one? Yeah, sure. <coughs> Someone Sorry. can bring some water, please. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's amazing. So you came up with the brand name <coughs> and you defined the category, the segment it would be in. What else did you define about the product? It was going to be a hotel, but what else, you know, what, what's the sort of, how do, would you describe the hotel brand that you've created? I think uh, we were focusing on uh, la uh, largely on uh, uh, funky sort of art, trendy, uh, technology savvy, uh, business hubs, communal tables, uh, lots more color, yeah. uh, more sort of 
uh, more, more sort of a millennial kind of a product. I mean, focusing on couples and older, fa- I mean, the mid- middle-aged families and stuff like that. I think we focused a lot on uh, uh, defining the service levels, how we're going to be unique. Um, I have a no tolerance as far as guest satisfaction is concerned. I have a philosophy that no guest goes dissatisfied from the property. Mm. Uh, problem resolution and guest recovery is number one on the uh, on, on 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 my list. Guest recovery, there's a term around that. Is there? Is that retention or recovering a situation? I think recovering a situation. Okay. It's like I mean, anything could happen in terms of. Uh, you know, the, the shower is too cold or it's the, the hot water is not working. Um, we have people dedicated to handling... Thank you so much. <clears throat> yeah. You have de- people dedicated to handling <clears throat> guest recovery in any situation that people complain about. And how do, how do you sort of have the feedback loop? How do you make the guests know that they can give feedback? There's feedback channels by which we have a set process where, the, where there is a direct interaction with the guest while they stay with us. Uh, we don't allow anybody to, to, to literally check out without giving us feedback on a daily basis. Mm. It depends on the number of nights they stay with us. Uh, there are various channels. I mean, we have uh, a WhatsApp channel. We have, an in- we have technology which allows them to make bookings and reservations within the property, mm. uh, send feedback directly to... And I have a philosophy that my team should not be wasting time on meetings. There should be one meeting in the morning and no other meetings in the week. We only have a revenue and a sales strategy meeting. My, my team and my philosophy of hospitality is focusing on true hospitality, okay. giving it right to the end, going yeah. the extra mile. And I don't want a guys to be sitting in meetings and talking to each other. You're hired for the guest. Take care of the guest. That's good. That uh, take care of the service. That. Take care of the guests. Try and be innovative. Try and be creative. That's what my team does in all our properties. Mm. Mm, that's a good, it's a good direction for your employees. You bet. And it comes right from the top anyway. So. Yeah, and you lead by it, and you come from that background. But so... When people are thinking of hotels, and we're spoiled in Dubai in this region, you've, we've got a mixture. Sorry, could you repeat that? So we're a bit spoiled in the, in Dubai. We've, we're all exposed to world-class hotels, F&B offerings, you know, facilities. Uh, we also have the mix of the Arabian hospitality of that sort of, you know, uh, welcoming nature. Uh, but so when you're building a brand and that you're not part of a network, how far do you have to go? Do you have to create sub-products? Do you have to have the gym brand? Do you have to have the uh, restaurant brand? Do you have to have the mice offering? Uh, or how did you approach it? See, if you're going to go the typical concept, the typical route, which is what Dubai already has, it has a lot of it. I mean, we're talking uh, a colossal amount of luxury hotels, uh, a very strong amount of... And what do luxury hotels typically offer? Multiple outlets restaurants, yeah, meeting space, outdoor space, nightclubs, bars. Yeah. We wanted to come up with something compact. We, don't, we didn't want to go, see, the larger your operation is and the, la- the more your spent is in producing or building a product, the longer it takes to get your ROI. That's going to happen. Sure. Um, unless and until you're based out of Palm Jumeirah or JBR, which tends to do stronger, but see, I wanted to come up with a hassle-free product, more like affordable luxury. 
So I created something that gives you a feel of a five-star, but typically has the facilities of a four-star. Now, we, we come up, we just go with one or two outlets, which are not signature from necessarily, uh, we created what the, because we have hotels in Africa, in Saudi Arabia and Dubai. So we don't typically go with, say, you have to go with X, Y, and Z. So you've got to go with, say, uh, I mean, the cup as a, as a F&B outlet. No, we don't do that. We create what we want. What we've done in food and beverages, <clears throat> we've outsourced the concept to a gentleman who is uh, pretty reputed in the market, and we work with him on most of our properties. His name is Sven Mustagal, Baker's Kitchen, if you've heard of them. Mm. So Baker's Kitchen runs my food and beverage and also has created the same concept within my properties. So that's an offering that I can give to other ownerships because it's cost effective, it's not over the top, uh, it's a very lean operation. So it's not a major cost to create F&B outlets for us. Now, what happens with co-branding or working with other sort of brands in the market, it elevates your brand too at the same time because there is a customer base that synergizes with Leva and Baker's Kitchen has their customer base. So I'm looking for reputation. I'm looking for uh, a, a quality product, a service. So that's what we created as far as... So there is no, nothing signature about... Uh, we create what the local market needs. Okay, so you have that concept in 2018, 19. We, we mm. have an idea what it is. I'm sure we <clears throat> need to explore it a bit more, but uh, you spoke earlier about a bidding process. Uh, how, did, how did you find your first <clears throat> venue and what approach did you take to that? Uh, when, you create a, when you create a brand, uh, the most important part is that you have to create a proof of concept. If you don't have a proof of concept, you, you really can't. So I struggled by, um, I wasn't successful actually. Mm. <clears throat> I wasn't successful at all trying to get HMAs or management contracts with ownerships because they, didn't, they, were, they were looking at an imaginary product, a product that was not created. Um, luckily, um, uh, there was an asset that was offered to me by Wassel, Wassel Properties. They were fantastic uh, the way they helped me out in that stage. But that asset needed about eight or nine million dirhams to renovate and position as a four-star. Mm. So what I did is I scouted around for investors and partners and trust me, I knocked a thousand doors. And I was down to the bare minimum in terms of the monies that I had with me and I wanted to give up and say, you know what, this is hard, man. Building a hotel is fine, but uh, getting that kind of money is sort, it's just not easy. And if people have that impression that investors are lined up, no, they're not. So I was lucky to get a wonderful family out of Abu Dhabi. Uh, they have their own businesses in oil and gas. And they have a, a, a company called Siraj Holdings. And one of their CEOs, uh, amazing chap, and also the ownership, which is Ahmed Khalaf bin Utaiba, uh, they supported me with a smaller amount, and then it started building up. So I have to say that um, the first hotel was a lease with Wassel. Then it was renovated by us with multiple contractors in 62 days. <laughs> we did it in 62 days and we, uh, we launched a four-star hotel on 29th November 2018. 
Oh my God, that's really fast. From initial concept, I thought we were getting close to the pandemic. But thanks for sharing that story as well, because it's not easy. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, uh, um, uh, it, it, was, it was a big win for us. But see, we had Shell and Core. So we had to do the public spaces. We had to do the room product. We had to do the corridors. We had to create a gym. And the poolside is massive on, on the rooftop level. So doing everything was a challenge, but honestly, we had a great team and put it together. And when was your first customer and how did it go from there? I think the first customer came from Bahrain and it wasn't the first day. He was right there. It was, we just opened and uh, he, I don't know, he heard about us from somewhere. He walked to the lobby with a friend and uh, we started picking up pretty quickly and when, even right in the first month, we did 70%. Oh, in amazing. December, yeah. Was that with sort of <clears throat> word of mouth? Because it's, it's a new brand. You know, was it, what were the factors to get sort of footfall immediately? Was it <clears throat> location or, or did you have a, uh, you know, because the com- hotel uh, marketing world is very competitive, you know, on digital and all these things. To get customers through the door is tough. Are we talking about that stage or today? Uh, well, from that then, stage, yeah. yeah. I think, um, I think you have to understand that we don't open a hotel without a back-end strategy. Mm. You have to have a 60-90 day strategy in place. So marketing, sales was already on board about four months back, three to four months back. And uh, exposing us in the right channels were already in place. And having a sales team which was already talking to the direct, uh, or talking to a network of ledger operators and corporate was already there. But a marketing team has been brilliant in terms of uh, identifying multiple channels. We are all over. We are on Google. We are on Facebook, Instagram. We were on uh, TripAdvisor. We were all over. And those, um, <clears throat> what do they call them, OPAs, the booking doctor? OTAs, yeah. OTAs. Uh, I think that's one of the major channels that you can't ignore today. Uh, booking.com is brilliant in terms of... Uh, uh, generally speaking, what happens within the hospitality industry is that OTAs are considered as filler business, but today it's, they're the primary business. Mm. Because uh, I think if you, if you create a seamless connectivity for a customer, he'd rather go to booking.com than on the, on, on the brand website. Mm. So it's a little tougher for us because uh, what happens is we pay, uh, we pay a sizable commission on every night. But we can't get away from that. It's, it's, it's a very big segment for us. Mm. So it sounds like you thought it through. <clears throat> and uh, is it hard to get a hotel license? Uh, and how do you get licensed to run a hotel? Uh, there are different factors as far as hotel licenses are concerned. I mean, there are parameters and, 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 and procedures that you need to follow, for example, as far as the kitchen is concerned. Mm. Uh, there is a certain sanitation and safety standard and certain way the municipality uh, wants us to function. Then fire life and safety, then you have civil defense. Uh, Then you have uh, Dubai Tourism, DTCM, who looks at the product because they have parameters for three, four, and five star in residences. So we have to follow those parameters. Then comes the CCTV camera license, that is CIRA. So you have to do, uh, you have to ensure that you have your cameras in the right spot and and, an adequate number and clarity and then they have to sign off on that. So pretty much it's four or five bodies that are involved. Is it easy? I don't think it should be easy in the first place. Mm. Uh, 
opening a hotel is not a cup of tea. I mean, just not like uh, take a take a chamomile and dip it in hot water. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's a it's every aspect. I mean, I give full marks to Dubai tourism for. Uh, I invited them uh, one day for giving me a classification. They saw. Um, uh, what do you call that? They saw a covering on the carpet and said that your hotel's not ready. Mm. And I do agree with them. Mm. So we started getting the relevant bodies on board when we were absolutely ready to go out into the market. So I remember still, on, I got my last approval at 6.30 on 29th November and we opened the hotel at 7 p.m. Amazing. But, but so that's the kind of approvals to go live, but you have a business license set up in the first place before that's you... That's a trade license. Just, yeah. and that comes from DED. And it's, what is it called? Uh, it's, uh, it's... Hotel management? No, uh, it, it's the, 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 the segment is called hotel management yeah. or uh, the activity, the mm -hmm. work activity. But it's a typical LLC license, commercial, commercial uh, uh, registration, or yeah, you call it a trade DD license. DD license, yeah. DD, and then, yeah. And then the rest. And what about, you know, do hotel trade licenses, do they automatically come with uh, alcohol licenses as well? No. That's separate. They don't, yeah. Because usually hotels are, well, in the past, that's where you could get alcohol, but, but it's a separate application. Um, see, um, as I said, that a cup, when you have DD, when you need to get a trade license, you have all these elements that you need to fulfill to get that DED license. As far as alcohol is concerned, alcohol is a very different topic altogether. Mm. One is the ownership needs to be ready to be sure that they want a dry hotel. Now, typically, because of the religious dynamics of the market, you have to be cautious and, and, and conscientious about the fact that whether the owner allows to have a bar in the hotel. And post that, you need to apply for a separate alcohol license. That doesn't come automatically on, unless or not until you submit that as a part of the trade license initially. But all approvals have to come from ownerships. And did you go with a dry hotel? or no? I had to go with a dry hotel because that was one of the mandates from Wassel that we needed to have a dry hotel. In that hotel. And so amazing, uh, you opened <clears throat> in 2018, you had business quite regularly. Uh, we can't skip till today without talking about the pandemic. Uh, how, how much did that impact Lever Hotels? Um, you know, we didn't cut salaries. We didn't retrench any staff. Uh, I'm very, very strongly against that because people are my, my people. Human capital is something that I really, uh, really value and cherish. Uh, occupancies obviously went down to the 50s and 60s and we started getting a lot more long stays because what started happening in the market is that obviously we, I think we closed down Dubai on March 17, 2019, if I remember 2020, correctly. 2020, yeah. 2020. And uh, 2019 uh, relatively was a decent year for us because we were just establishing ourselves. Uh, March 17th when they shut down and they opened back in July. I mean, I've not seen a better market in the world to handle the pandemic than Dubai. I mean, brilliant to open in three months because, and they had a system by which you have to take passes and go out and get approvals. So all that went off pretty well. Um, I mean, it's, it's natural to say that uh, a pandemic is not going to boost your business. But because the feeder markets where the business comes from was totally affected. For example, Europe was badly affected, India was affected, 
and then it went down to the States and Canada. So if your feeder markets are not traveling, then you're going to depend on the domestic market. So the domestic market gave us a lot of long stays because the pandemic gave a lot of uncertainty that whether people are going to have their jobs or not. So what did they start doing? They wanted to go into hotel apartments to take monthly stays so that they don't, they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow mm. than getting into a contract for a year. So they were, we managed to do 50 or 60%. And actually, COVID was uh, pretty strong for us as a company to grow. We grew a lot more through COVID than otherwise. Wow. I was expecting a more doom and gloom answer that it would threaten your business, a young business in the hospitality space. But you seem to be, you seem to start it off in a lean way that you weren't overstretched at the time that you could observe it for those few months. And then obviously c kind of uh, be part of the Dubai bounce back at, at the time as well. Richard, what's the point in running a business which is stable? I mean, then there needs to be ups and downs. There needs to be... You like the excitement of it. I think, I think I have lived in markets and hotels all my life that have made me either reposition them or go into a challenging market. Crisis is my... Is, is my I, I think <laughs> I live with it. I live with crisis. I think it's... I think if you're going to make an excuse out of a pandemic, you're most welcome to. You can. Mm. But you've got to push harder. I mean... If you're, if you're accelerating at 80 or 100 because of what's happening, get to 200, man. Hmm. It happens. So I didn't stop exploring new markets. I didn't stop uh, building my team to get more educated and get more talented in terms of what they were, what departments they were working in. So I, don't, I, 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 I can't give you an answer which is in, 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 inaccurate. I, uh, nothing really stops me. Hmm. Nothing really stops me. Unless and until you shoot me down, that's a different story. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't stop me. I'm, I'm extremely ambitious and extremely driven to grow the brand, uh, pandemic or no pandemic. Amazing. It's great to hear that. And, but, so how do you choose the Africa, Saudi <clears throat> you mentioned? What were the opportunities there? What's the current footprint of Levo Hotels? Uh, we are about... Eight now, uh, in the last, uh, it's a typical concept that, a typical strategy that you would have is have the first hotel, then you build your marketing strategy, build your development strategy, you identify the markets you want to go into, like I focused on Africa, Middle East, and Europe. These were my three markets. I never had the intention of going into Asia, that was not my goal. So I went into Africa because I got referred by a lot of people to enter Uganda, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. So with the referrals, I started exploring those markets because generally what comes to mind for people is Africa is a dangerous part of the world. It's not. It's definitely not. Um, now I've been to Uganda maybe 20 times, Nigeria about five times, and Ethiopia maybe another 50 times. So I'm doing cities in Ethiopia which are, uh, which are remote. Not even the capital cities? Not even the capital city. Okay. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing uh, um, a smaller 140-room resorts, 40 minutes away from the city. Um, some are about an hour flight from the city. So we are focusing on... Uh, generally, what brands tend to do is look at tier one cities, like, say, for example, Dubai. Uh, uh, say, for example, Addis Ababa, 
but I don't. Uh, if I get an asset on Addis Ababa, so be it. Mm. But the 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 money and the opportunity lies in tier two cities. So, I think Africa was uh, Africa uh, uh, is 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 a great opportunity, and I think what uh, uh, what what happens in life and businesses where there is chaos, there's money to be made. Mm. So that was good for us that we entered first with Uganda, then with Ethiopia, then Nigeria. And is it the bidding process? Do, does a developer have a unit that you then bring your concept to, and then you have a rollout plan to go to market, like <coughs> you did in Dubai? See, uh, there are two couple of ways that you could uh, you could acquire an asset. One is either you go for a conversion. So if you have an existing hotel which is non-branded, and they want to brand it because they don't know how to run it, so you build your brand around that conversion. Now, we are flexible in conversions because we don't go with a set philosophy that you've got to follow the size of the glass. and We localize it, we give you elements of the brand, and we make it more uh, uh, financially friendly for the ownerships because well, imagine he's already built a product and then you tell him he's going to put another $10 million to renovate it and make it a lever. We don't do that. We come up with the elements of the brand of course, we don't go for properties which are substandard or just to put a name out there. We put a phase-wise strategy for the owner if there is renovation required. If it's not required, it's fine. Um, that's one way of doing it, the conversion. The other one is a green field. So you're building right from ground zero. I mean, you're building, taking the land and building up. Um, and the last is, yeah, pretty much leasing. So. I think, uh, I think we were more successful in conversions than new builds. But now we are getting a lot of inquiries for new builds. And what happens with greenfield projects is that it gives you the opportunity to play with your creativity. And you really want to build an Econo by Lever that's a three-star or a Lever but that's a four-star or a residence. Mm. So it does give you that flexibility. Mm. And we feel that we're going to get a lot more of that opportunity in Saudi Arabia. Mm. And what's your, uh, you're in Saudi already, where are <clears throat> you and how's that entry been like? Um, the entry's been pretty soft at the moment because Saudi started taking off a couple of months, a couple of uh, uh, years back because of the vision of 2030. Uh, where the ruler wants to go from 18 million to 100 million in terms of tourist arrivals. And um, what he's backing it up with is that various tourism attractions like Neom, Line, Alula, Kidia, a lot of stuff is coming up there. We took on a small existing property, which was two properties, which were 86 keys. Unfortunately, we have not been able to get the ownership to put the investment for the conversion at the moment. So we're doing it phase-wise. So we have two hotels in Jeddah, and now we are aggressively looking at tier two cities in Saudi like Asir, uh, Hail, uh, Tamam, and even Riyadh for that matter. Yeah. So presence currently Jeddah, but I'm hoping to have, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tall order, but I'm looking at about 2000 keys in the next three years. Okay, uh, and how many currently overall oh, across the group? About 1,700. Okay, at the moment. No, I said 2,000 yeah. only in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, only in Saudi So outside of that, we're going to grow. I'm, I'm also focusing on getting into Europe right now. 
So I've got a couple of meetings in Greece, Italy. Uh, also, we are focusing on Budapest, Hungary. So Europe is another uh, potential market. Interesting. Is it with the <coughs> same backers, the same partners? And I guess the question is re in reference to M&A because hotel groups usually the big guys sort of not necessarily win out but the big holding groups have so many brands underneath them is there an exit strategy here do they do they acquire brands like yours or do they develop their own concepts to meet and meet a new market demand and you know with respect of leva what what's your sort of uh how where do you want to take this brand in regards to i'm looking at about 75 hotels in 10 years that's where i want to be uh, I have never thought of getting acquired by another brand because uh, that wasn't my goal in the beginning and uh, I think I wanted to create, make a difference within hospitality and within the communities where I'm going to build hotels. Uh, I strongly believe that uh, local people and local tourism need to be a part of your tourism strategy entirely. Um, I don't think... Uh, I, I don't think my, uh, exit, uh, my, I have an exit strategy. I want to put multiple brands of my own in within uh, the focus markets that I have, that is Middle East, largely uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Doha and UAE, Morocco, Egypt, North Africa. Uh, I'm looking strongly at Saudi, as you know, and in Europe. Okay. So I'm, and, and most recently, we're looking at even Kenya. Okay, amazing. It's fascinating to hear that sort of ambition and all these countries. Uh, so the focus clearly is on this brand. It's not necessarily interested in what's happening in the sector in general, uh, you know, what, what the other big groups are doing and what the trends are. But how do you view that? How do you view the current state of hospitality? I think the big groups um, um, focus, big groups have development teams. They have people who acquire properties, sign contracts. They have a plethora and, and a basket of brands. Like Accor has probably, I don't know, 200 brands, I guess. I have no idea. Marriott has a lot of brands. Marriott acquired Starwood recently. Uh, I'm not looking at numbers. I'm not looking at numbers that increase the portfolio of Leva Hotels. I'm looking at hotels that can make a difference. I'm looking at reputation. So if I'm gonna go into a secondary market, I'm not gonna have 50 hotels there. Like for example, I mean, some of the big brands in, in the US, they have like 70 hotels in one city, you know, one particular brand. No, I'm, I'm pretty specific and uh, I want to take on markets and regions where we are going to produce results. And if I, that means I have to go with only two or three of my sub-brands because we have a residence brand, we're creating a five-star brand, and we already have Leva and Econo by Leva, which is three-star. Okay. So I would rather go and go into these segments and specific need markets. I would not put a flag on just to get additional rooms. Okay. And they, will those uh, residents, is the residence brands also named Leva? Uh, at the moment, yes, we call it Leva Residences. And the Five Star would be a different name? Uh, five Star is being worked on. It's, it's going to be a different name. And uh, there is a big trend in Dubai this year about sort of co-branded residences and those type of partnerships. Give me an example. 
well, uh, there's been a few. Like, well, there's the Cavalli have done one with Damak. Danube have done a fashion TV. Um, you know, and then in Atlantis Royale have residences. Right. Four Seasons are doing residences. Uh, see, I mean, uh, Dubai has taken off as far as real estate is concerned. I mean, is it is it is it valuable to have co-branding? Absolutely. It makes a lot of difference. Mm. It's a marketing. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a marketing gimmick. I mean, uh, if you're going to have markets around the globe that are suffering because of wars or have wanted alternative uh, uh, residence, Dubai is a fantastic place. It offers everything. Mm. You talk about residence visa or golden visa or great quality of life. It's expensive, no doubt, but uh, I think it's a great place to invest. Uh, am I in favor of co-branding? Uh, I think it depends on their philosophy, how they have created that agreement between each other. Is it going to be a Kawali branded uh, sort of SOP or brand standards? I'm not aware. But I think it's got more to do with the name that comes along with it. Because Damak and Danube and uh, Imar are reputed brands by itself. Yeah, true. So they're doing pretty well. Imar is a fantastic company. Uh, Damak has grown over the years and Danube is really coming up. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, it's kind of different trends mixed together and some comes from the property owner side and some is from the hospitality side. But, right. uh, but you know, all, all told, the sort of the opportunity in hospitality and hotels is still vast and there's still, you know, it's still a good time, do you think, to have entered this industry? Uh, you know what? I would stop building hotels. <laughs> I mean, we've got a lot of keys here. Yeah. Uh, we've got more than 130, 140,000 keys. Um, luxury is, is, is also saturated. You've got every single brand in the market. I mean, there are more coming in. Uh, does it have the potential to take on that kind of, uh, those kind of business levels? Dubai is doing a lot. I think the last one and a half years has been fantastic because of FIFA and Expo 2020. Summers tend to die down a bit. Mm. Um, I think we need to get into more affordable segments like ours, more into three and the four star. Uh, I have mentioned earlier, owners are more, far more savvy in terms of running cost-effective models and more profitability. I don't think, uh, I think there is a, definitely a real estate market because as you can see, whatever you build gets sold anyway. Mm. And uh, so traditionally, I think international markets are looking for alternate residences. They want to get into Dubai, mm. and it's an easy place to get in. Um, hotels, uh, I mean, don't forget the more the supply, our rates are getting affected. They might, then if, if that's going to happen, then the demand has to be created. Now, the demand has to be created for all the 12 months. You can't die down in four months in summer and then have eight months of, uh, because the cost of operation is going up. The cost of the payroll is going up mm. yeah, and, and the rates are coming down because you have so many keys. Rules. Well, JS, you seem to be a good person to be able to run it profitably and understand all these business acumen. Where do you think that comes from? Like we see in Dubai, there's a lot of successful Indian business people who just do really well in this city. Is that part of it or is it just that you have good experience from around the world? I have no idea about Indian businessmen because I've never been in touch with one. No, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a single one in Dubai. 
Uh, well, I, I come across because they seem to have a good grasp of uh, hospitality, but also of uh, accounting and knowing, you know, not making silly mistakes and things like that. Ah, uh, I or think is that just a generalism? It's probably. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, I, first of all, I would, never did know that I was going to get into business. Yeah. Number one. Number two is that I lived in India thirty years back. So I'm not really accustomed to what's happening back in India. Fair. Uh, I, I worked, I studied, and, and worked more in international markets. Mm. Uh, I'm really not in touch with me. I, I come, I've come in certain magazines and stuff like that, but I'm really not in touch with the who's who of Dubai. I don't really. I'm focused on growing what I want to grow. Mm. Uh, business is not, and and and. I think everyone, including your team members, need to make mistakes, because mistakes are normal. Okay. You've got to learn from them. It's not. It's you don't crucify your people to. So, did I make mistakes in my business? Absolutely, I did. But is it? Does it come naturally to me now? In terms of, I, I think my strategy is a lot more calculated, and I don't throw money out of the door because I know the value, and. Uh, I started with nothing, and I really went through a lot to get to where I am. And I literally traveled 25 days a month to different cities to build my brand. So I wouldn't say that uh, I haven't made mistakes, and it comes to me naturally. It's come with experience. Brilliant. Good note to finish on. We're out of time, but JS, thank you for sharing the story of Leva Hotels today, and we'll follow you and your ambition in the future. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. And what a charismatic guy JS is. I really enjoyed that. We could have went on a lot longer, but I hope you got some value out of the conversation and interesting to see how he's expanding across the different continents. And thank you as always to everyone who worked behind the scenes to produce this show, Ali Khalil and Shahir Al-Kindi, and then the team on Love in Dubai and Smashy TV for distribution. This is available on Dubai Works podcast and audio on Apple, Podio, Angami, Spotify. It's also available to watch as in video format on Smashy TV. You'll get that on smart TV devices on www.smashy.tv, but also on iOS and Android. And uh, we'll have some videos on our social channels, Smashy Business, Smashy Hospitality. And that will be back next week at 11 o'clock on Friday morning uh, with another interview.